And welcome back, listeners, this morning to Sacred Space 102, a Come and See production here on West Limerick 102. My name is Shane Ambrose. I'm delighted to be with you this morning and still in studio. I, we're controlling the ship of state, as we'd call it. We have my friend, John Keeley. Good morning, John. I'm still your friend. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we are delighted to welcome on the programme this morning uh, a lady that was with us quite a number of years ago, but who many people in Limerick will know of and know of her good work with the Children's Grief Centre. So good morning, Sister Helen Calhan. How are you keeping? Well, good morning, Shane. I'm keeping great, and it's lovely to um, to be to hear your lovely voice again. Thank you very much, and it's, we're delighted to have you on the program. Now, Sister Helen, um, I suppose many people will be familiar uh, in Limerick, maybe of of the project that you work with, the Children's Grief Project. But just before we we we've invited you on this morning just to talk about, I suppose, the the subject of. I suppose, how to cope with grief in this particular time that we're living in, particularly dealing with COVID and everything else. But before we get into that, uh, for those of our listeners that mightn't know about the Children's Grief Centre, what is it and what is it that you do? Um, The Children's Grief Centre, we're up and running now 11 years. Uh, We were founded in 2009 and we support children where parents have separated, divorced or where there has been a bereavement. And initially, when I set it up, I knew there'd be some interest, but I've been totally blown away by the demand for the service. Uh, for example, as I sit here now, I have o- I have over 300 children on the waiting list. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So what we're providing is um, it's very simple, but it's the feedback I get both from the children, the young people and their parents is that it's very effective, that we provide support. So for children between four and six, they normally will play. We have a beautiful uh, setting here on the grounds of Westbourne Convent and the beautiful centre. Uh, they will play, but through their play, their feelings emerge. Then young people between or children between seven and 12, we have a workbook, but all of this is optional. And then for young people between 13 and 18, we simply um, sit and listen. So what we're providing is a listening service Young people tell me they really like it because it's not um, it's not counselling or therapy. We t- take referrals only directly from parents. Lots of schools are aware of us and we're recommended via schools. The same via GPs would phone asking about the service. But we always direct them back to the parents because I have learned over 40 years now of working, I suppose, in various areas within kind of with families that really the most important people in a child's lives are the parents. And uh, so that's what we do. Initially, I was on my own, but I've been extremely fortunate. Uh, We now have Teresa Kavner, who works full time uh, with the children Monday to Friday. And then I have Kieran in Nulon. She comes in Thursday and Friday. There are two paid staff. I also have full time admin, Helen McInery, a clear woman, but we won't hold that against her. Fiona O'Sullivan, who recently joined us, and she works three days a week, and they're paid staff. And then we have a number, or then only within the last two years, we took on a part-time fundraiser, Katrina Morgan. And Katrina recently has been joined joined by Carol, who's in our fundraising department. And the reason we have taken on a, a fundraiser was that we saw that the need for this service is huge and our premises here is quite small very nice so we now have a huge project ahead it's not the best time to be fundraising 
but we're actually, we have been gifted a most beautiful building on the grounds of the Mount Convent by the Mercy Sisters, which I have, I'm a Mercy Sister, as you know, and I'm so grateful. But we're going to be doing a big reconfiguration of that building, and uh, I'll be announcing more about it in January. But it's going to, it's very exciting in that last year, I went to my first time to America, and I went to Portland, and I visited a most beautiful children's grief center so i've come back with just what wonderful ideas, ideas. okay very and good. i just want to, i just want to mention there that we have four wonderful um volunteers uh, mary brown who is from broadford mary has volunteered with the center she's a retired career guidance teacher mary has been with us 10 years mary comes in once a week and would work with three children per week and then we have Beryl Carswell. Beryl, some people may know, was a play specialist in the regional. Then another lady, Ita Hannon. Ita worked as an addiction counsellor with the help board. And then Mary Power, a teacher. So they're all retired, but they are absolutely wonderful and essential to our service. That's, that's a, it's a wonderful and it's it's great work that you do. And I, I just to say, Sister Helen, when you when you do get organised for that plan in, in January time, we must have you back on the programme and, and to talk about it and so that you can share uh, with our listeners here in West Limerick as well. I'd, I'd be delighted to do that, Jane. Great. Listen, thanks a million. Now, <clears throat> I suppose... Um, I suppose one of the things that struck us recently uh, uh, when we were just talking about things in, in COVID uh, is the whole way that we are dealing with grief as a community and and as a society. And I suppose when I was overseas, one of the things that people would say to me is, well, you'd go to Greeks for, Greece for the wedding and Ireland for the funerals. And it was mm. kind of something that was part of who and what we are in terms of our 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 respect and our our assistance with dead and dying. And I suppose in the last couple of months, that's all been very much thrown up into the air. But I suppose before we get into that, I suppose it's kind of way, what, you know, what, what's your own thought about it and, and what COVID has, has meant in terms of how we, how we understand and deal with grief? I suppose, Shane, I find it heartbreaking to be quite, to be totally honest, uh, because yes, it, as you described there, as a society, we were absolutely superb in supporting our our grieving and bereaved people and we all know and for the, like we we've all been bereaved and what what normally helps when you see your friend coming in or a loved one or getting a hug uh, someone um, shaking hands with you telling you how sorry that they were and all of this is so important in the grieving process and i just find it horrific now that we we, we can't do that like we can't mm. go to funerals and I've thought a lot about it because I suppose especially because of the work that I'm in. So for me, what I think we have to do now is we have to look at new ways of supporting our bereaved families. And even in, I live in Balnacora here in Limerick City and some weeks ago, a neighbour of ours died. And I was really touched by all the neighbours came out and we stood and uh, and the family asked that we would sing a hymn. And uh, it I, I remember I thought... I remember standing there thinking to myself, I never thought I'd see this day. But the other part of me said, well, we have to look at other ways now. So that's one way which I think is very important. And and going back then maybe to the, the old way of writing to families who have been bereaved, letting them know that we are there, we are thinking about them, we care about them, because that's so important. Uh, 
So we have to look at other ways of supporting our, and I suppose our service here then we, we say, because we focus on children, that the children can come in and talk to us about their loved ones that have died. And this might sound a bit sentimental, but I think it's very important. I always say to children and to adults as well, that, you know, those we love, that, you know, our hearts might appear to be very small when we look at some, maybe look, look at a heart drawn out, but I think our hearts are enormous. Like we can carry those we love in our hearts and no one can take that from us. But I'm going back to what you're asking me. Like we have to look at new ways mm. of supporting our um, our bereaved families. One thing that struck me about it, I suppose, in, in when I when I was thinking about like yourself just, just before the interview and things like that, one of the things that struck me about it is there was almost three ways that we've had to deal with grief in the last couple of months. Because first of all, we've had the families where people have died from the, the virus itself. And oh. I don't know about you, but if you remember that um, primetime documentary that was done on St. James's, and I said you, you would have to have the heart of a stone watching it not to feel for the families that were involved. And and the fact that, you know, you had people that because of the disease in many ways, in some ways, they were almost dying on their own. And to me, yeah. it brought back um, images, particularly from the early 1980s and particularly the early onset of the um, the AIDS crisis and where people were, were almost shunned because of the illnesses that they had. So, so mm. that was that was one thing that struck me about it was the fact that and people dying alone. And I think that hurts. That hurts a lot of people. I think it hurts a lot of Irish people yeah. because we're very conscious of that whole thing of not letting a person go alone, that there mm. there's someone with them uh, no matter what. Then the second thing that struck me was about, as you said already, you have families that in the normal course of life where we have bereavements at the moment and we're circumscribed in terms of the usual as you said processes and ways that we can support families and the interesting ways that families or the communities have rallied around and like you said in particular that they're coming out onto the street doors uh writing to one i what i stru- what was struck me about it was the the people leaving messages on the the likes of rip.ie yeah it was yeah. you know and then the third thing the third group that struck me about it was the fact that we as a community and as a country we have lost opportunities if you like and the, mm. gr- the grief and the sorrow that can arise from that and in particular I suppose given all, everything that's gone on at the moment for the Leaving Cert students I was thinking of you know if you're if you're leave, starting school or fin- starting secondary school or finishing secondary school you know the things that the, the, the things that you would do to mark the passage of time and for us, I suppose, as a community, I suppose we need to be aware of that and the different types of grief that people are going to go through. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And I had, I suppose, the privilege of working in Milford Hospice for nine years. And I worked there with the dying. That was a lot of my work and the bereaved. And I learned so much from the dying, uh, I can assure you. But And I saw the value. I saw the value, like the value of your family members coming in, sitting by sitting by their loved ones and the dying also needed an opportunity sometimes it was to ask for forgiveness sometimes it was to tell their grown-up children how much they love them tell their grandchildren so what you're saying there and i think i'm i'm saying the same thing like all of that now is like it's so hard to understand this and uh, like what's happening when this is not happening mm. Yes, actually, that's a good way of putting it. What? How yeah. do we? How do? How do? How do we do it? I suppose it calls us to take. I suppose maybe 
a leap of imagination. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think we, like we have, you see, like in the beginning, I found myself really angry and angry because having the experience of being with the dying and knowing, like I, you sit there and think, knowing what their isolation and mm. just being really angry about it. Mm -hmm. And then I decided one day, Helen, okay, fine being angry for a bit, but you have to move on now and look at what can you do? So I'm very conscious. And recently someone uh, I had been on a board of management with a beautiful man died suddenly. And I remember going on what you said there and writing in. I never thought I'd be writing in on a computer, but yes, reading all the lovely messages about the particular gentleman that died um, and all of us that put him in from all different areas of his life. Um, I thought, yes, his family will see this now. And that's important. Definitely. I think communication, I suppose, is is one of the key things, because um, what I suppose, like you said there, one of the one of the things that we very much associate with funerals, of course, is, the, you know, going to the funeral home or going to the park, going mm. to the house and shaking hands with the deceased. Now, I know myself for many years, I was kind of going, my God, why would you do this? But it's only when you're at the other side of it and you're receiving yeah. it that you appreciate how much it can actually mean that your neighbours or that your friends have come to be with you in that particular moment in time and to be able and that they are walking with you for that bit of that journey. Uh, and I yes. suppose it's, it's something that we have to remind ourselves that it is important. Oh, it's vital because I can remember like my dad died when I was 32 and I can remember a friend of mine uh, that I'd worked with many years previously had moved, was married up in Sligo. And I will never forget, and he died in 1991, so that's a long time ago. And But I can still remember to this day seeing her face coming into the funeral parlour and the support that that was. And the realisation of the, like, the sacrifice she made, like she drove like over three hours down and went back the same night. But it never left me. Mm. And um, so like we know how important, and I just pray that um, we get back to those times again. But we have to work then on other ways that we already have mentioned. Mm. Like you, like your story there, um, when watching and listening to the stories, for me, I think one of the things was that it was you were you were, you, you said it was it was anger in one in one sense um, that people were almost like dying on their own and like that story. For me, I actually think it was immense sadness, mm. and particularly for older people and particularly for older people who I, I I'm think I was thinking particularly actually of my own grandmother and the whole thing of a good death that you know that mm. whole belief in and and being being able to accompany a person uh for for a good death and that I think for me it was just the sadness of it and the the pain of that for for many involved if you were to say something to a community this morning sister Helen just in terms of um their, our, our accompaniment through this period of change and transition and trying to understand with it kind of you know I suppose there's people they're tired at the moment with the whole COVID restrictions and rules and regulations and everything that's going on it's been a tough uh, six eight months for, for us as a community um, but in terms of kind of just as a, for each of us who haven't necessarily had bereavement per se but we've had that experience of loss um, mm. what kind of what, what would strike you about it this morning um, yes, because I know myself when I had closed down the Children's Grief Centre here in Limerick in March, like I was heartbroken. I can I, I can empathise. We all can empathise. And because I was thinking of all the children that we couldn't see. 
But as I have reflected over the last few months, I, I believe, you know, I suppose as Christian people, we have to be people of hope. And, you know, I was out walking before uh, uh, this morning before our chat and I was, you know, thinking and praying about, you know, what would I say during the interview? And what came to me, and I, you know, believe that, you know, it's the Holy Spirit was talking to me. Uh, what came to me was that, you know, Christ died on the cross and it was not a pretty sight. Mm. Good Friday was not a pretty sight. And every Good Friday when we celebrate Easter, but then what happens? We come to Easter Sunday and there is that rejoicing and hope and you know, I believe, you know, our life is for living and it's so important. We're all needed, regardless of age, we're all needed in some area of life, uh, whether it's at home minding the children, whether it's the grandparents, whether it's out teaching in the school, whether it's driving the bus, we're all needed and we're all needed to give hope to each other. And I, I just feel that's so important that uh, to find ways then, and I know for myself that, um, I don't know whether this would help people, but I even find getting out now in nature and just looking at, you know, the trees and the, the flowers who are still blooming and uh, just getting out there for a half an hour a day. And something that I started back on that has helped me and people will laugh now because I'm, I'm now 63, but about five years ago, I bought a bike and, and I hope you won't have a good laugh. I bought a racer and I bought the racer because it was very light. And I started like I suppose as a teenager, I cycled to school. But even last Sunday now, I just got up on the bike and I went for, uh, uh, like people left for about 20 kilometres. I cycled out to beautiful Mungris and uh, I went in to visit the graveyard there. A few people that I've known are, are buried there. And just, and even when I came back, I was so glad that whereas maybe prior to last year, I would be maybe sitting in of a Sunday and just reading the paper all day. And I do think that finding those ways of, you know, keeping the mind healthy and the body and um, sharing with friends. And also, I think, keeping up that hope that, you know, that Easter Sunday, you know, that Easter Sunday, that resurrection. And, OK, we're, I don't fully understand this. And I, I do reflect, like, in many ways, like all the things we thought that were important in life are being taken from us. And I was one, I was going out to the Crescent doing my shopping in Tesco and I'd meet loads of people and I'd be there all evening talking. And I went out last Friday evening to do my grocery shopping and seeing everyone with a mask and no one talking to each other and people all looking nearly scared of each other. And um, and I just thought, like, how our world has changed. But I have a choice now. I have a choice that, you know, to look at that I'm alive. There's hope. We're all needed. Um, the re resurrection will come. Uh, I suppose the things that I like oh yes I found myself thinking last Friday evening when I was coming back like last Christmas and Stephen's Day and I feel a bit, I won't say guilty now but I wanted I saw this dress and I'm not a dress person really but I needed to get a dress and down I went to Brown Thomas's and St Stephen's Day and I got a dress as a great bargain but I can remember feeling really bad when I went in St. Stephen's Day because I looked around and there was all these young women working on St. Stephen's Day. And when so I'm linking now, I hope I'm not waffling. I'm linking this now when I went down to the Crescent the other evening. It was very quiet. There was only a handful of people there. The shops were closed and earlier. So we're being called maybe to some kind of quieter way of life. Mm -hmm. um, 
more balanced that I did. Helen, you don't need to be going St. Stephen's Day in buying a dress. I, I hope now I haven't waffled on. Not at all. I, we get, I think we're, we're getting the point that you're making, I suppose, that COVID is calling us to very much kind of reconsider how we've approached things, maybe. And that maybe that within the whole madness of this time, there's opportunities if we can only uh, make the space, I suppose, to see them. Sister, uh, Sister Helen, one of the things you had said to us when we were coming on the programme is that you had a reflection from uh, that you'd like to share with us. So would you like to tell us about it and then, and, to get, and then to recite it for us? I would indeed. Uh, I used to love reading um, different reflections by the late Cardinal Basil Hume. And he wrote a lot on that. And following my own dad's death in 1991, and I found it very difficult and I didn't understand this and it was in great pain. And I came across this uh, in a, the forum, I think, at the time. So I read it. It's called, it was a piece written by Basil Hume. So I, my prayer is that he'll bring hope and consolation to people who are grieving. Grief cannot be shared, for it is mine alone. Grief is a dying within me, a great emptiness, a frightening void. It is loneliness, a sickening sorrow at night. On awakening, a, ter- a terrible dread. Another's words do not help. A reasoned argument explains little for having tried too much. Silence is the best response to another's grief, not the silence that is a pause in speech, awkward and unwanted, but one that unites heart to heart. Love speaking in silence is the way into the void of another's grief. The best of all loves come silently and slowly too, to soften the pain of grief and begin to dispel the sadness. It is the love of God, warm and true, which will touch the grieving heart and heal it. He looks at the grieving person and has pity, for grief is a great pain. He came among us to learn about grief and much else too, this man of sorrows. He knows he understands grief will yield to peace in time. Sister Helen, thank you so much for that reflection from the late Cardinal Basil Hume. Just to finish out this part of the programme, uh, we're going to have a piece of music now and it's by uh, sung by James Kilban. And it's a piece very much associated, I suppose, with the theme and kind of also links in with uh, that idea of resurrection, which Sister Helen reflected on. And it's called Going Home. In my childhood When we traveled so far By nightfall How weary I'd grown Father's arms Would slip round me So gently He'd say My child that 
waiting 